the Plumley Pod, episode 48. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education, the Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and today's special guest has come to warn us about the impact that big tech might have on the historical archives. That man is Daryl Cartley, and he is the director of Penpal Revival. Welcome to the podcast, Daryl. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. We all know that websites and other online documents are very easy to fake. Plenty of evidence of that during the COVID era now. However, we don't yet know the impact of this on the historical archives. So first of all, let me ask you, why are historical archives important? And what do you fear the impact of big tech and technology in general will be on those archives? Well, it's hugely important because, well, a quote comes to mind from George Orwell, 1984, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. So if you actually want to know the truth of anything, like the coordinates of where we're going, <laughs> you need to know what's happened in the past properly. And then you actually stand a chance of getting somewhere you want to go. Yeah. So it's absolutely fundamental. And the impact of big tech is, well, if you're not paying attention and a lot of people aren't, and well, that's up to them. If you're not paying attention before you know it, who knows, you could well be hooked up to a computer and playing computer games <laughs> the rest of your life. I don't know whatever's going on there, meta and all this nonsense. But yeah, I mean, the awake people are the ones who have a chance of actually challenging this juggernaut of big tech. And they've got the money, they've got all sorts of technology to basically write whatever they want has happened in history. We have an opportunity and what I hope will be, um, certainly is for me, a main factor of pen power revival is for our chance to actually put down on paper to a friend in maybe the same country, maybe a different country. We've got lots of people who are in all around Europe, the world. I've actually got New Zealand and Canada and also everywhere. We've got a chance to actually write down what is actually happening as opposed to what you're told. And we all know what we're told. Well, you can't even say it's a washed down version of the truth. At this point, there's no relationship to anything like the truth on so many levels. I'm very concerned about historical archives because for me, the most likely history to be true and accurate and true record is stuff that is properly documented. I'm talking about government documents that have been archived. I'm talking about newspaper articles that have been studied, analysed and put in the archives. Human beings are notoriously appalling at remembering stuff. Eyewitnesses in particular are frankly laughable. We know you ask a policeman officer, you ask a detective, eyewitnesses, yeah, brilliant. Most doctors will tell you that patients are useless at telling them what their body's like, what problems they're having. They're not even accurately recording what they ate for breakfast the day before. We're not meaning to tell lies. We're just, we don't always know that we're going to need to recall what we had to eat three days ago to a doctor three days later. So we don't necessarily retain that information. Also, if you've witnessed something terrible, perhaps like a crime, you are in a state of shock, almost certainly, 
And under that pressure, pressure that you've probably never been under in your life, you completely forget really important details or misremember certain details, and they can have devastating consequences. So for me, while I listen to some eyewitness testimony and think, yeah, okay, you see that in real time on the so-called news, don't you, when you have these people who were apparently at something and you look at them sometimes and think, hmm, I'm not really sure about you. That doesn't sound like an authentic recall of what you say or what the television says you've just witnessed. Any case, that's perhaps a story for another day. But my concern, especially during the scandemic that we've just been through, was that true record actually what took place rather than what the journal liars were saying took place, rather than what the politicians in parliament were saying. We need physical evidence, document evidence, so that future historians can figure out what really happened. Because if you just take newspaper clippings from 2020, 2021 in the UK, if you just take statements from the likes of Boris Johnson, I said it without spitting, well done me, first time ever, then you'd be forgiven for thinking that some kind of cataclysmic event took place, when in reality, many of the hospitals were empty. And I can say that with absolute authority, because I was one of the people who got off my ass and went and videoed my hospital myself. There was nobody in it. Yes, that's right. During the the height of the pandemic, the deadly virus, the plague, everyone's dying, the hospitals are full. No, they weren't. I've got video footage of empty car parks at a hospital that serves tens and tens of thousands of people. This hospital is also closed over the weekend. So you can imagine what A&E is normally like on a Monday morning. I went there on a Monday morning, empty. So, you know, what the stuff that was coming out of the so-called news, BBC Lies 24, I like to call them, and I won't even repeat what I call Sky News <laughs> off air. Listen. We'll say Sly News for now. That's probably just about palatable on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Sly News and BBC Lies 24, that stuff bears no resemblance at all to what actually took place. And that concerns me very, very deeply. Now, did you see the one where they changed, like several years ago, they sneakily changed the definition of vaccine and pandemic? Did you see that? That's right. That for me, that's completely what got me going, whoa, we have just crossed the Rubicon there. We have gone from one state of being, of documenting what happens and then hoping that honest historians will analyse it and interpret it for us for future generations. We've gone from that to completely fictionalising history in real time. If you believe that the news is history in real time, which unfortunately it is, that's what they use to write the history then we're in quite a lot of trouble, aren't we? Oh, definitely. And what comes to my mind is also when you talk on just books, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's right in your face. The appliance you have to read a e-book or whatever it is, it's a Kindle fire. So what's Kindle? It's kindling and a fire because it's a burning of the books, isn't it? It's right there. Thank they you. They can change it at any time, couldn't they? They can change whatever they want in any book. They said I was crazy. They said I was crazy. When that first freaking thing came out, I completely refused to have anything to do with it because I love, you know me and my books, I love my hard copy books. Oh yeah. I'm building a library downstairs to preserve <laughs> preserve these books because I said what they'll do is they'll start anything they don't want you to read, they'll just delete it from your account, then you can't read it. And then later they'll just delete whole books from their server so that you can't ever get them again. Yeah. And because we're getting lazy about printing stuff, because, oh, I'll just read it online. Oh, really? Oh, will you? Well, what about when Mr. Bezos doesn't want you to? Or when somebody who puts pressure on Mr. Bezos says, we'll have those books removed, thank you. That is book burning. I literally accused Amazon 
right from the get-go of being the new book burners. And I got called every name under the sun for saying so. So I'm glad there's at least one other crazy person who happens to agree with me. And other people are in control of what you read if you are reading stuff online. Get hard copy stuff, get some bookshelves like we used to have in the olden days and get some freaking books, right? Absolutely. And if you think an email to a friend is, I mean, it's child's play to for surveillance on what you're saying. I mean, I don't want to get too dystopian or whatever it is about it, but I mean, I mean, let's face it, come on, you can't really say, it's getting to a point anyway, that you can't really say what you want. You have well, to just kind look of at, like... Look at Wikipedia. Yeah. If you go to Wikipedia, and I'm not suggesting anybody should do that ever, but just for a kind of an academic inquiry, let's say, go and have a little look at Wikipedia Type in Adolf Hitler and read the first paragraph, and then type in Gemma O'Doherty and read the first paragraph. Gemma is getting a harder time than Adolf on Wikipedia right now. I nearly fell off my high chair when I saw this the other day because I was having a little play with Wikipedia because it's one of my bugbears. When I first went to university, we got read the Riot Act. The act it was the first weeks. I don't remember much of the first week because Freshers Week, it's not really the best. But I had a terrible time with hangovers and all the rest of all that stupid stuff you do in the first week of university. You're supposed to be going there to read a great seat of learning, all this knowledge, and you end up going out getting drunk with people that you wouldn't give the time of day to, normally ridiculous period of my life. (laughs) I think many people go through the same thing. Unfortunately, it shouldn't. It's a terrible culture. But anyway, that's what I fell into. Somehow, through the dense fog of too much vodka or whatever I was on those days, probably not vodka, but anyway... (laughs) They really pressed home the fact that if you were to cite Wikipedia, you'd be booted out of the university, you'd be off the course and you'd be kicked out because it's complete garbage. It's not an encyclopedia. It's nothing of the kind. It's not properly researched. It's completely biased. They went nuts. I can remember it now, even though through all of that fog and haze of time and too much alcohol, and I can still remember them going nuts about it. So they must have made, I can't remember anything else about my first couple of weeks at university, but I do remember the lecture we got on Wikipedia. Where's that gone? I don't see the same understanding in the current generation of young undergraduates. What about you? Well, what comes to my mind is probably back then there was actually maybe some truth to Wikipedia and since then it's all changed. So now it's like <laughs> they probably promote it <laughs> to, because they can write what they want now. And <laughs> so it's, I'm sure it's quite different. I don't envy anyone. I didn't go to university. I certainly don't envy anybody going there now because my word, I don't think they got long those those institutions. I think, yeah, they're just so full of lies that <laughs> they can't last long. If you can close it for the flu, <laughs> then yeah, it's a bit like the churches. So if you can close them because of the flu, you got to ask how much truth is there. <laughs> well, you don't on, really. you don't believe in God for starters, do you? If you're closing a church, exactly. you don't believe in God, and you're not. Yeah. if you're not working in the way of Jesus Christ, are you? He cured lepers. He sat with the publicans, the drunks, like me in my university days. He sat with the prostitutes and all of the rest of it, didn't he? So what, you're closing because of the flu? I mean, what do you think God's going to say to those exactly. church leaders about that? I think that's uh, completely scandalous. But then I want to press this Wikipedia point a little more, just in case we haven't gone all the way with it. Many people are no longer buying encyclopedias. Mm. Now, old encyclopedias, I predict, are going to be worth a fortune in the future because there's actually truth in them, or at least some truth in them. And you will be able to show how much truth has been buried by future regimes and future 
establishment figures just by having these old books to refer to. Because what's happening with this online encyclopedia, and Wikipedia is not an online encyclopedia. I do not care what they say. They are the lying liars of lies. Is very, very political, which encyclopedias are supposed to be the opposite of that. It's not supposed to be political. It's supposed to be a collection of facts, not ideology or created by a bunch of people with severe psychological problems, certainly as regards kind of far left ideology. You never hear about the far left and you hear about the far right, don't we? But these crazy yeah, cultural nice Marxists, well. <laughs> crazy cultural Marxists are completely off their rockers. You know, you have an investigative Irish journalist who's being slated more than Adolf Hitler. I mean, get a grip. You, that's just beyond the realms of comedy. Yeah. It would be farcical were it not so dangerous. So I'm really frightened that people are no longer investing in encyclopedias. And what concerns me the most are our future historians. I think most of their reading is now being done online. I think they're accessing documents online. That is not the same that is not as safe as going in person to the archives in London, to the archives in Moscow, to the archives in Berlin, to the archives in Washington, D.C., and studying the real documents for yourselves. And my great fear is that this, it won't be chat GPT or whatever. It'll be, it'll be the new of the latest model that they bring out in six months, 12 months, three years. Whatever AI garbage they churn out next, Many of these indoctrinated sheeple tards that are going through university at the moment, and I'm looking at historians in particular, but this applies more broadly to anybody going through university, regardless of their chosen course of study. They're going to be assuming that AI has done all of the scanning of the archives for them. Yeah, because the people who are programming AI, they're bound to be Jesus Christ worthy, aren't they? And I'm saying that with absolute irony for anybody who isn't quite catching the shades I'm throwing here. We're going to have a bunch of people believing that honest programmers have programmed fairly and faithfully every document into AI so that it can do your homework for you. I mean, back in the good old days, if someone did your homework for you, you used to get punished if you got found out because you're supposed to do your own homework. Do you know what, guys? It wasn't about that one piece of homework that you copied or that you cheated on. It was actually a life lesson about doing your own research, about being your own authority. It's the one thing, actually, that school teaches about being personally responsible. Everything else is about being dependent, dependent upon your teaching assistant, dependent upon your iPad, dependent upon the teacher to give you authority. And facts, even though polar bears are dying, is not a fact. Yes, polar bears are dying, but we have more polar bears now than in the 1970s. So... For me, the crux of the matter is the kinds of people that are going into universities now and the indoctrination that's happening there and all through school and colleges and sixth forms, they're not any less bad, believe me. For me, it's I'm very frightened about these historians that are going to be churning out that just think, oh, the computer's done it for me. And they're never going to go and look at the archives and the stuff that's been missed or the stuff that's been hidden in the archives even to this day because nobody's bothered to go digging. What do you think? Absolutely. I think you, yeah, hit the nail on the head. I think it's, it's just so important. It's, and it's like I was saying before, it's very easy. I think, I think the opportunity is there now because it's not all lost yet. I know it's very close, but it's not, we can do something. We can do something about it. And to me, with letter writing and connecting with like-minded people, and it's just a win-win all around. Like you say, you've got a, historical archive you're actually writing a letter with pen power revival to somebody and you get one back and it, the feeling 
is incredible. You know, when you posted that letter and when you received it, if you've got a child that perhaps you homeschool, for one, it's an English lesson, a very important one, and they can learn this almost lost skill of writing a letter. It's just there's so many like aspects of having a pen pal that is it's so enriching, it's so important. Now more than ever, isn't it? Because of the Absolutely. danger with all of this technology, people can fake my emails and say I said this and say I said that. I firmly believe that Dr. Mike Yeadon, I firmly believe that those tweets that he was alleged to have written were not written by him. They were supposedly some sort of offensive or nasty tweets or whatever, which are completely out of character with everything I've seen dozens of hours of that man speaking. I think he's very credible. They hate him because he was in the beast system, a bit like me. I was there. I was in the classroom teaching the children. He was there at Pfizer, head of research and development for ooh, vaccines, for respiratory illnesses and or other medicines. And they just, they hate it because it's someone who's come from the beast system and has changed sides. And we bring with us very valuable information. And that's why we get shot at the most. I believe firmly they faked those tweets. And if they're faking that, they can fake absolutely anything. Have you seen those deep fakes where you get, they just take some images of you and some samples of your voice and they can literally make a video of you speaking and it looks and sounds just like you. Yeah, and yeah. it's completely fake. It's totally fictitious. Historians in the future are going to need a real massive tool bag to be able to decipher truth from fiction, reality from fraud. I love what you're doing with pairing people up and getting them to write letters to one another. Another thing that sprung to mind was things like Samuel Pepys's diary. There's an awful lot of in interesting like historical information that comes out of that book, even though it's just some guy's diary. And I like the idea. Again, though, it was handwritten. Handwriting is unique. It's almost as good as your fingerprint, your thumbprint. It's unique to you. It's very, if you've put something in your own hand, it's very, very difficult to fake that, even in this day and age where we have all this big tech and all this super technology that I absolutely hate. I'm going to be in real trouble because I've got loads and loads of diaries of my own. <laughs> I journal, so you'll be able to see that it's in my handwriting, a fairly unique style. Tell us a bit more about Penpal Revival. Tell us, first of all, exactly what it is, because there'll be people just tuning in for the first time that have never heard about this and never heard you speak about it before. So tell people what it is and tell people why you're doing it. Well, the world is messed up and everything is being tracked, being monitored. And you just can't, as I've said just previously, you can't really trust anything on a computer. What's the saying? Believe half of what you hear and none of what you see. I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about, isn't it? You can't believe anything on, on the screen. The other problem, I'll just let me dive in there because you'll get these tech geeks, and I've had this before, saying, oh, you can, you can run this check, you can run that check. No, I'm sorry, geeks, you can do that. But <laughs> Joe Average can't do that. Joe Average has a chance of figuring out an official government document from a fraudulent one because you can just look at them side by side and see the logo and see the attempted forgery of the logo. Do you remember those spot the difference exercises that we used to do as children? Well, we can just use those skills as an adult to help us, right? I'm not saying that's perfect. However, with all this tech stuff, all this coding crap, no average person, no man on the Clapham omnibus has a freaking clue what it is you're doing, and it is dangerous. And some of the most unethical, sly, underhanded people are involved in it, and they're in it up to their necks. Citation, Elon Musk. Need I say more? Absolutely. Sorry, all you Elon fanboys out there, but Elon is a shill, 
And I've been saying it for ages and it's now in your face because that CEO he's just hired is a WEF puppet. Yeah, you heard it, a WEF puppet. So sorry, this is what is inherently unfair and problematic about stuff that is now written online, is it not? It's much harder for Joe Public. We don't have these skills. They're not being taught. They're deliberately not being taught in schools. Yeah, we're not being taught how to discover a digital fake from a digital, real, bona fide document. So I'm sorry, that doesn't work. It's not a legit argument, you peck people. So there's one for you. I think that's something that they have to solve because if you want to be believed, then you better start putting things in place so that people like me don't think you're just as bad as the rest of them, as bad as the bad guys with big tech. I want to see a map. I want to see a roadmap for how we're going to educate people to be able to discover digital fakes, digital frauds. What's the method? We have professors at universities all over the world who are very, very well educated in teaching. First of all, they were educated themselves in how to spot document frauds and forgeries. Somebody tried to forge Adolf Hitler's diary And thankfully, we had some intelligent historians that just sent the paper off for analysis and they proved that the paper was only made 10 minutes ago down the road at WH Smith's or whatever. Um, Other stationers are available and it probably wasn't that one, but you get my point. (laughs) However, I don't see any honest tech people doing that. I don't see it. And why not? Because most of them don't think like that. They just think, oh, this is great. It makes my work easier. I can be lazy. I can do less. Stop being lazy. Stop doing less. You're screwing it all up. You're so me, me, I, me. Oh, it makes my job easier. Well, bully for you. What about these children who are going to live in a completely fake world when not even the brightest don't have a chance of finding out the truth about anything? Sorry, big rant about the tech people being irresponsible, but I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. Have you? Definitely not. And I'm sure we all know some like good guys that work in it. I know we do. But it's like you say, it's all very well there may well be very complicated to the majority of people ways of getting around all these things. But in my mind, what's very easy is to just switch it off, like electromagnetic pulse. Oh, all electronics are dead. What are you going to do now? Can you write a letter? Have you got anyone to write to? What are you doing? Can you spell any words? Because you know what? Spelling is through the floor. It is toilet. It is toilet. An awful lot of these tech geeks cannot spell for toffee. Some of them can. And I'm going to get the three people writing to me who happen to be able to structure a sentence. I know. Don't bother, (laughs) guys. I know. I I could probably name them. Don't bother. I know who you are. That's fine. But the overwhelming majority haven't got a Scooby-Doo. I recently showed, I've told this story before, but perhaps not publicly. I recently showed a piece of cursive, a beautiful piece of cursive, even if I do say so myself. There's a nice poem that I wrote in my very best handwriting. And I showed it to a software architect. So this guy is above the level of senior developer. Senior developers are big deals. They've helped me produce my app, the app that I use for Gorilla Ed, mathematics, cursive, real science, etc. I've had obviously some tech help with that and I'm very grateful for it. However, this guy is above that level. He's like the software architect. He couldn't freaking read it. And he was embarrassed that he couldn't actually, he, the man, couldn't actually read what I'd written. And the handwriting, it's, you know, I've worked very, very hard and practiced very hard so that it's legible, swift, beautiful, and they just can't read it. And I thought, yeah, I know why you can't read that, because you're so used to reading maybe five or ten fonts only. Five or ten computerized fonts. And code. Uh, Yeah, and code, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And it all looks the same. And my goodness me, I thought, yeah, that isn't that interesting. Doesn't that tell its own story? And this guy's on mega money. He's a lovely bloke, very... 
highly intelligent, one of the few geeks that you can actually have a decent conversation with, someone who's personable. But my goodness, basically, he can't read. If it's written in a certain way, he can't, his brain just won't decipher it. And don't get me wrong, it's a skill that they know all this stuff. It's great. And don't, like, if you've got an interest in it, go for it. But why limit yourself to just code? Sharpen your sword (laughs) in more ways than one. But have another string to your bow. Learn how to write. Learn how to read. Cursive. They say the pen is mightier than the sword for a reason. They don't say the keyboard. Yeah. They say the pen. And it's not just because it's out of date. You've had plenty of time, you keyboard warriors. The reason for that is because, well, look at it now. You can fake stuff on a keyboard. Anybody could be writing my blog. I think you can probably tell by the language I use. It's me. It is me. And I won't ever let AI write my stuff for me. I think it's dishonest. If I don't write to you for a week, it's because I'm knackered or poorly and I'll come and apologize later. I'm not going to lie and let some bot write my stuff. I think that's disgusting. And if that's what you're doing, well, that's up to you. But I'm not. I've drawn my battle line and I'm sticking to it. I'll do it myself and anything I produce has come from me. Mistakes and all. You know, I'm a human being. I do make mistakes. And I think it's very important that we teach our children that it's okay. Humans do mess up and that's okay. You apologize, you make reparations, you serve a punishment if that's appropriate in that particular mistake that you made. Now, I think that's a really important part of what it is to be human, to be a real person. At the end of the day, what are you going to do if your tech doesn't work? What do you do if the lecky goes off? Ooh, I bet that freaks them out. I'm sure they've got batteries for a few hours. But what when, What about, what if you had like a, I once had a four-day power cut here because I live in Cabbageville. And at first it was a bit like, oh, okay. But then I quite got into it. I had loads of things that I could do. I've actually got a French dictionary. So I was able to continue my French classes. I actually had resources, materials, already printed out. I had books. Oh, I had a library to refer to. I had a gay old time. I read plenty of stuff in the library, spent more time with my dog, time in the garden, tending to the apple trees. Whatever. I thought, actually, I quite like this. Don't mean to be funny. I love what I do. I love Gorilla Ed and I love the people I get to meet like yourself and all these wonderful parents who are really sticking it to the system and doing a fantastic job of bringing up well-rounded, highly intelligent, highly articulate, very intelligent young people. The kind of, not just intelligence in an academic sense, but street smart. They're also emotionally mature. And that's that's a big one, isn't it? A little off topic, perhaps for today with emotional intelligence, but very, very great to see. So much as I love that, I'm not going to lie, when the power went down, it didn't really affect me too badly. In fact, I think I, I think I felt rather better after then. I had another one recently. It was only about 48 hours. But there are pros and cons. Somebody said to me this week, only this week, somebody said to me, she said, you know what? When the electricity goes off, we're going to be all right, aren't we? (laughs) We don't care because we're the smart ones. We're the intelligent ones. We're the ones who are going to figure out a way around the problems. Imagine the sheepletards who had no electricity. Let's say the electricity went off for a week. Can you imagine the panic? Can you imagine the meltdown because their stupid little apps and their crappy computer games don't work? I would, I'm not being funny, Daryl. You can probably hear the glee in my voice. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I'd be happy. I, I get some more letters fired off to my pen pal, you know? It's not going to affect me one bit. And I, I think that's a warning, but also a really kind of a hopeful message to our kind of people that, that there are other people out there that are just like you. And you might be the only crackpot in your village, but don't worry, there's plenty of villages with plenty of crackpots in them if you spread your net wide enough. And you're doing a great job. Did you say New Zealand was your farthest outpost That's of right. Revival now? Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just very briefly, can you tell us 
in real simple language what exactly it is. Because I mentioned earlier, some people don't have a clue what what it is. Tell us what it is and then tell us how we can get involved in it, please. So it's based on Substack. So effectively, that's basically its home. That's your hub. That's the center. That's the hub. Exactly. And so that is where you subscribe for a monthly or a yearly subscription. So that's step one. So you subscribe to that. So then I have your email. And then after that, there's a short survey, which I'm told is very user-friendly. It's not hard in any way. And you fill out those details. I don't have any information on you other than an email and like, I think maybe a name. That's it. Like a first name. Because we do not sell data because we are honest people, aren't we, Daryl? We're not into that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think on Substack, I might have your name. That's it. That and an email. So that's as much as I want to. I don't want to have any. And only the details that you may put on the survey. I don't want to have any information on you other than the absolute essential in order to get you into this community. So when I type the survey, because I've cheated a bit because I originated it, I already have my own pan pal and whatever, but tell me what happens. So I've signed up, I filled in the survey to say I want somebody abroad or I want someone at home, right? Yeah, That I can write to. So it's like domestic postage prices or foreign postage prices, depending on my preference. Then what happens next? What, What happens after that? Well, simply all I do is I wait for or maybe immediately I can match you up to somebody who meets your requirements whether or not like you say if you want to if you're happy to write to someone abroad or in your own country if i've got somebody on the database all i do is i email you their details and them your details and by details i mean your name <laughs> perhaps they live in another country but you'll be prepared for that because you've already signed up for that and just to say hello to them just to start off by email and then after that you get going as long as you know their address so do I exchange that on email? So once I've said hello on email, does that person then send me their address if they wished for me to write That's to? That's right. Great. That's right. It's not done through me. You contact them and then you're away. Basically, it's then down to you to get the pen on paper and get to that post box. And we've got some like, I want to call it mother and baby, and that's really out of date, isn't it? But you've got like families <laughs> where like parents write to one another, but also the children write to one another. Is that right? That's right. So if you're interested maybe you homeschool your child or maybe you just they go to school but you wouldn't mind them having a pen pal all you do is you say that you have children and you just detail their age and this is on the survey then that information all I do is I find somebody else who would like their child to have a pen pal I match ages I don't know anything else and then I start off with the parents I say in the email that they have children which is similar age to yours. And if you want to, then why don't you go and start the pen pal, you know, your child's pen pal, should I say, from there. And I can tell you absolutely 100%, there is no sort of chance, certainly in my opinion, of a, shall I say, not very nice person trying to contact any child if you know what I'm saying, there's it's no parent way. To parent. Yeah, it's, it's parent to parent. Yeah. Fundamentally, parent to parent. And then from that, parent makes a judgment call. I'll say, yeah, they also have children your child's age. If you want to start them off on a pen pal, then go ahead. And I'm sure many parents start off just writing to each other first. And then once they receive the letter, feel more comfortable and say, actually, yeah, 
Absolutely. If your kid wants to write to mine, then I'd be perfectly happy for that. Share a stamp, can't you? Because you can chuck a couple of letters in one envelope and Perfect. everyone's a winner. But yeah. let the kids open them. If you're doing that, let the children open the envelope. Exactly. <laughs> That's the best bit. That's the best bit. I mean, we've got to, I think, encourage our young people to enjoy that again. It's a really important skill, letter writing, whether or not you're typing one or handwriting one. And I certainly hope you're handwriting one. It's a vital skill. It certainly gets you noticed these days because so few people can actually string a sentence together, let alone a whole letter to somebody who perhaps lives quite far away. What do you hope for Pen Pal Revival? What's your... I'm trying to avoid using the word vision, but I just said it, so sorry. What are your <laughs> hopes and, and aspirations for it? Well, it's not something I expect to make a large amount of money from. That is not the goal. <laughs> it's, it's definitely more of a service for like-minded individuals. That's the number one. If it's not number one, it's certainly fundamental because a lot of people kind of balk at the idea that they have to take out a membership, a paid membership for it. But for one, you know, support what you like or it goes away. I think a very wise person said that before me, but it's so true. You're paying for a sifting service, really, because you can weed out the creatures because your experience, you've been awakening for a very, very long time. It's to keep out the sheeple, isn't it? To make sure that we have the right kinds of people hooking up, like-minded people who are going to enjoy writing to one another and get something from it. I should imagine there's people even sort of trading, maybe a bit of agorisms going on with some of the pen pal relationships that have been established a bit longer. Perhaps I'll send you some honey if you'll send me a couple of sacks of spuds kind of thing. And we giggle now, but it wasn't looking quite so funny 12 to 18 months ago, was it? Exactly. And again, I don't want to be some sort of doomsday predictor profit. or whatever <laughs> profit, but that happened so fast. Who's to say that couldn't happen again? Seriously. Like, I think we need to be real that that happened. We all saw that. And some of us jaws are still on the floor, like thinking about it, like how on earth did that go on? And people just were like, well, there you go. You turn off the internet. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything you want to say. Just put my internet back on. Yeah. Can you imagine? They were that afraid of the flu. They damaged their own children by muzzling them. Yeah, and can you imagine worse. what they'd do if their internet was turned off? Oh, heaven forbid. What about their electricity? Let's go all in. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's something I'm getting behind in a big way because it's something that I realized there was a problem that people weren't connecting back during the scandemic, not in any real way, just on social media, which is not the same thing. Receiving a handwritten letter is way more personal than receiving a DM. You actually get a much more of a sense of the human being rather than, I mean, it could be it, someone in your DMs could be literally not just anyone, but anything. It could be a bot um, or a 77th soldier, heaven forbid. I've had some DMs from those creatures. Let's not go there. I want to keep it light this week because um, I think the people who listen to this podcast are sick of me ranting. No, I think it's a vital thing that people who are like-minded are held together, that there are contact, there are lines of communication that are very, very difficult for the state apparatus to interfere with. So yeah, you ban me from Twitter and stop me DMing my friends, whatever, like I have, like I have friends on Twitter, huh? but you can't stop me from talking to people I love and people who love me because if my emails are taken down because the email servers don't want to provide me with an email service anymore, fine, that's okay. I'll just get myself a printing press and, and produce my own materials that way and post them out snail mail style. But I can still talk to people on a personal level with a private letter. I do. Yeah, I really, really love that. 
Then, of course, there's the historical archive angle, isn't there? It's okay, it's not a government employee, so giving our opinions on what's going down at Whitehall wouldn't be taken seriously by a historian because we wouldn't know how that works. If you haven't worked in Whitehall, you can't really give an opinion. You probably don't know that much about it. However, did Shakespeare write about the court of the king and queens? But that's another topic for another day, isn't it? You write about that which you know. Well, that's interesting, because how did a peasant from Warwickshire know anything about the court of the king or queen? I should, I'll definitely leave that. But for me... He could not spell his own name, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for me, that doesn't matter so much with these letters, because if you what I do is I write my letter and I take a photocopy of it so I can keep what I sent to my pen pal. I keep that at home, a little archive. And I keep the letters that my pen pal has sent to me so that in the future, long after I'm dead, someone's going to find a whole rack of these letters. And, you know, you find out very interesting things. You find out what's happening in somebody's particular part of the world at that particular time. And if it's to do with the price of gas, well, a historian can take those things seriously. Because if you are somebody who drives a car, you might just be a member of Joe Public, but if you have a car, then you your opinion on the price of gas is relevant. It is valid. And it might seem like a small thing, but can you imagine the lies that are going to be told about COVID-1984 in the future? If you think it's bad now, you just wait until all of this technology has a greater hold. And for me, I, I think, I, please, people, if you're, if you're doing pen pal revival, archive those letters, keep those letters safe. It's not for you. It's not even for your grandkids. Just keep them safe because you never know which rack of letters is going to be found in the future. And if we have, hopefully, at least some honest and intelligent historians, they will realize that it's far harder to tamper with paper stuff that has been handwritten. And for me, paper stuff that has been handwritten is where it is at going forward. Daryl, where can we find you? Where can If people wish to sign up for Penpal Revival, where do they go? How do they get involved in this? So it's, like I said, it's Substack. So I've got here penpalrevival.substack.com. That's correct. Is the search good on Substack? If I just go to Substack and search Penpal Revival, will I find you, do you think? It's worked in the path. Okay. Uh, I see. Could be one of those guys. All right, then. Fair enough. So (laughs) empowerrevival.substack.com is probably your best bet. I will put links in the description, of course, and I'll make sure I send that out on email to everybody as well. So you'll get links there. Do you have any other channels that people can can find you on at this time? Penpower Revival's on Twitter at Penpower Revival. Gab at Penpower Revival. Actually, Twitter is Pen Revival because something... I don't know, weird on Twitter means I can't put Pen Power Revival. But anyway, <laughs> Pen Revival on Twitter. Gab is Pen Power Revival. Mines at Pen Power Revival. Bastion is Pen Power Revival. And Getter is at Pen Power Revival. So there's. Thank you, Casting the Net White. I'll follow you on Getter. I've got no friends on Getter. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. We can go and cause trouble on Getter. Brilliant. Sounds good. And to let me. me just say, let me just say, because I just remember what I was going to say earlier, that your community is a, such a high caliber the people on there like the gorilla edders yeah the gorilla edders like don't think like you don't have anything to say in a letter all of the people in your community everyone has everybody has something very very valuable to say and your perspective your ideas everything you don't know point one how many people probably resonate with you and also just them reading that even if they don't agree with everything you've got to say on on a matter your perspective, your take on things is very important. And there we are, you know, that is your archive. And back to your community, like every single one of them, they've got so much value to give. 
so much experience in just life. The information is high quality, isn't it? It is. Out of the cohort of about 30 guerrilla editors who are hardcore, they turn up for everything. We've had many of them give lectures themselves. So I bring in guest lecturers to talk about interesting things like the site of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We had Professor Gloria Moss applying critical thinking skills to the site of the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example. But that aside, me bringing in guests, we have people from the cohort who are members delivering their information in giving it a workshop of something valuable or a lecture on things that they know. Absolutely un- unbelievably high standard. And I don't want to get a big head, but I have to say I'm slightly flattered at the caliber of people that, that we have in our clan there. And thank you very much for your kind compliments. I do appreciate it. I think I don't often stop to think about it because I just want to keep going and get as much information shared as possible. But the community is, I don't even always like the word community, but I know what you mean. We have such good people and we're handing on things, even if it's not necessarily all always written down, we're handing on ideas and we're sharing them with our children. So yeah, I think we need plenty more people doing the same thing, but it's certainly attracting attention. I do get sort of daily emails about it and people are saying, when can we join? When can we join? August, people, August, I have to take some rest. So 3rd, 4th, 5th of August, I do a free course. And at the end of the free course for home educators, if you wish to join us, then you're very, very welcome to do so. But that's 3rd, 4th, 5th of August. Daryl, thank you very, very much indeed for sparing your time uh, this afternoon. I appreciate it very much. I will make sure all of your social links are attached to this podcast. And I wish you all of the very best with Pen Pal Revival. And I will definitely send you my photograph of the recent letter I posted that I've been meaning to do for about a week. It's on my it's Fantastic. on my list. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be brilliant. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you, Sarah. It's really nice that you've taken time to catch up with me on this. And yeah, it's good. It's exciting times. I want to say, like, spoiler alert to the people in charge, we win, by the way. So <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. So <laughs> bring it on. Spoiler alert, we win. Love it. Absolutely love it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us this Sunday morning. I look forward to hearing from you guys in the week. And I'll be back here again next Sunday with more for you. And as ever, say it nearly every time these days, the state gets their power from schooling, but the people get their power from education. And I might even say guerrilla education. Have a great week. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.